That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. Well, that's what she said. Welcome to That's What She Said, conversations with interesting people from the world of sports, music, comedy, and more, talking about their lives, careers, successes, and failures. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. This episode's a little bit different. Um, it's a conversation, actually, with my friend, Sharzad Kiade and her mom, Valerie, and um, you guys remember uh, maybe a couple of months ago I had on my friend who's a sommelier, and I'm, I'm sort of interested as much in people who uh, just have great stories to tell and, and are interesting people, even if you may not have heard of them or seen them on your TV. And Sharzad and her mom put together um, a YouTube video a couple months ago talking about Valerie, uh, Sharzad's mom's uh, stage four cancer diagnosis, um, and how she had this amazing outlook on life and death. And as someone who is constantly running away from conversations about death and mortality and who's terribly afraid of this topic, I was not only incredibly emotionally moved by it, but really inspired by both of them and how they're approaching um, what is now, they're about nine months into her mom being given about a year. And um, just listening to them have a conversation very honestly about what comes next and how they're handling this was so, so beneficial to me. And I really thought that you guys would benefit from it too. Um, Sharzad's a YouTuber, a host, a blogger. She actually just created a new series that you guys have to check out called High Note. And she was inspired to find people and things that would um, shine a light on good news and people doing good things while there's a real darkness going on in our world and there's a lot of bad news all the time. And so she has done a ton of other YouTube shows and, and stuff about fashion and beauty and makeup. And she really wanted to dive into something that um, was like really personally felt by her in, in the current moment. So check out that new show. It just launched called High Note. And um, if you go to Sharzad's Instagram, Sharzad Kiade, Ki, uh, sorry, K-I-A-D-E-H, um, you can find links to all of her various shows and stuff. She's fantastic. But um, I really think you guys are going to enjoy this conversation, and hopefully it will help you through um, friends that are going through stuff, what to say, what not to say, um, or family members, or even yourself if you're dealing with um, issues of illness and mortality. Um, and, and in a fun way, as amazing as that might sound to you, uh, these women are hilarious and so smart and interesting. So I think uh, I think you'll enjoy this. Here's my interview with Sharzad and Valerie Kiade. Well, that's what she said. So I am very excited for this week's episode. It's something a little bit different, but I promise you, you guys are going to get a ton out of this. My very good friend, Sharzad Kiade, who's a host, a YouTuber, a blogger, an Instagram sensation, uh, just an all-around amazing person, um, is here with her mom, Valerie. And uh, a couple months ago, actually, they made a YouTube video on Sharzad's channel talking about the recent cancer diagnosis that Valerie got and how her attitude and approach to both life and death is so informative and inspiring and could be really helpful for other people. And in fact, I've sent it to multiple people who are either dealing with their own illness or that of a family member because I hadn't really seen anything like it. And as someone who uh, very much shies away from conversations about death, I thought this was a good, uh, good place to go to somehow try to hope to soak up all the positive and informed vibes from these two wonderful ladies. So, um, Valerie, why don't you just tell us a little bit about 
um, your life before the diagnosis, who you are and, and what makes you you? Oh, well, I'm a normal person. I'm a, a mother first, I guess. I've raised three kids. I have two grandkids. I've been a full-time teacher. And after the diagnosis, I uh, stopped teaching. I was a teaching and a ES, teacher and ESL curriculum specialist. So, uh, um, you know, I liked yoga, hiking. I'm in a book club. I'm in a card club and uh, active and um, having a good life, happy and feel fulfilled, and I've traveled a lot, and, uh, you know, middle-class housewives, happy mom. (laughs) (laughs) And Sharzad, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I am her daughter. Uh, (laughs) Very lucky to be born to the best mom on earth, in my opinion. Thank you. Um, I make YouTube videos. I have two little kids. I host a couple different shows on the internet. Um, Life pre-cancer diagnosis, uh, pre-my mom's cancer diagnosis was moving along, um, like a, you know, my normal hustle, my normal mom life. And then that kind of shifted so many things for me. It shifted my perspective and my goals and, um, the kind of conversations I wanted to have with people, my outlook on life. I, I feel like it kind of put a mirror in front of my life to see what was really important and what wasn't because I think anytime somebody close to you is is terminally ill or somebody that you love passes away you just sort of think of things a little bit differently um and you and for me I I you know I tried to make the best of a of a situation um you know and focus on the people and you know that I really cared about and loved so so yeah that I mean that's that's me. That's Charizard 2.0. Um, <laughs> you know, with a you know trying to trying to make the best of this situation and trying to spend as much time with my mom as as possible. Um, that's who I am in a nutshell. Yeah. Kind of. I'm you know I'm normally a very happy person. I'm still happy. I've been much more emotional the last nine months or so. But uh, I guess that's to be expected. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so it was about nine months or so when all of this came about. So, Valerie, tell us, you know, how did you find out about the diagnosis and what were you feeling or what caused you to even go get checked out? Yeah, I started having um, actually a change in my bowel movement, which uh, so it was a big change. They were hardly there, just very small. And I was wondering where all the food I was eating was going because all my life, actually, I've been I been in Weight Watchers forever, and I struggle to keep my weight. And I do successfully get, I've kept my weight at like 130, 135. I'm about 5'5". So, uh, and my weight's been that, and I do do Weight Watchers, so it wasn't just the easy 130. So um, <laughs> You were working for it. <laughs> yeah, I was working for my 130 pounds, and then all of a sudden, I had this huge weight loss, like 20 pounds in two months. And no idea why. And again, my bowel movements, nothing was coming out of me. So that was just weird. But I still felt good. And I'll, I have to say, before my weight loss, I just thought, well, I can change this with my diet. You know, I'll drink more water and cut out alcohol and won't drink coffee and, you know, make some healthy changes and maybe this will help my bowel movements. When that didn't work and then I had the weight loss, I went to my doctor who's uh, recommended a colonoscopy. And then I had a colonoscopy, and the guy said, uh, the gastroenterologist said, well, you have colon cancer. And um, and I didn't think much of it because I still feel good. 
So then they ran more tests and said, we can't fix you with surgery or chemo or radiation because it's metastasized to your liver and your lymph nodes. So, okay, there's no treatment for me. And uh, so my kids, when who were really freaking out about the whole thing, um, started trying to find tr- alternative treatments for me since my health care really couldn't give me anything. And also I asked my oncologist, like, so how long do you think I have? That was last April. And he said about a year, give or take. So if you have some living to do, you know, go ahead and get that done. So I started, I quit work almost immediately. And um, my children and I have traveled and I've done all these fun things and gone everywhere. Uh, I did um, go to Mexico for three weeks of an alternative treatment at Stella Maris Clinic, where I got an immunity boost of vitamins and I'm not sure what other concoction, mistletoe and some other weird things. <laughs> frankincense that I would, and myrrh, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, frankincense and myrrh, exactly. <laughs> I hope so. Actually, I subsequently learned that frankincense was actually a medicine in ancient times huh. that they rubbed all over themselves. So maybe I was getting There you go. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so a concoction like in an IV for about five hours a day. And uh, I felt good, and I was walking like a mile to the clinic and a mile back. My son was with me the whole time. And uh, and then I came home and um, was doing lots of fun things, and I didn't really start feeling pain then until August, I think, when we were in Columbia for my son's wedding. I started not being able to sleep and have some more pain. And when I came home, went immediately to a, my uh, – or asked for a palliative care doctor and uh, was given one, and now I'm managing my pain with uh, pain meds. Um, hydromorphone, which is also known as Dilaudid, and uh, what else? Methadone and gabapentin. All the good stuff. On. Yeah. Yeah, the hardcore yeah. stuff. And I'm smoking marijuana before I go to bed, and um, and that's helping me sleep. And I've had some bad days this month where I was thinking, God, how much pain, you know. I wonder how much pain I'll endure before I want to go. And then I've had good days. Yesterday, I think I had the best day since my diagnosis. I was driving around. I was driving myself around. I went to get a massage. I mean, yeah, I went to get my nails done. I had a great day yesterday. So I'm not really up and at today yet, but when I am, um, I'll see if I'm feeling pretty good so far. But I also discovered this month that I can no longer walk long distances, which is a drag. And, uh, like, I have to sit down and rest. So we did get me a wheelchair in case there is a long distance. I mean, I can go from the car to a store if I'm going to sit down. Right. But standing, I can't go shopping in the grocery store anymore. It's just too painful to, I mean, I might try it, but I have to be draped over the cart. But sitting, I'm okay. Right. (laughs) So originally your doctor had thought that there was um, potentially a, a chemotherapy that could be used, but that was before they realized it spread, right? And then exactly your, your decision yeah, was, I, I don't want to do chemotherapy for the remainder of my life if it's not going to cure me. I would rather enjoy this year exactly. plus. Yeah, the chemo doesn't cure you. At first, I guess the standard protocol, they give you radiation and chemo to shrink the tumor. Then they do surgery, remove the tumor, and then a little more chemo and radiation. So they thought it's just up my colon, they can do that. Then they saw it metastasized to my liver, and they said, well, if it isn't your whole liver, we can cut off a chunk. And then they saw it metastasized everywhere. So they said, really, there's no hope. 
if we give you low-dose chemo, there will be some side effects, and you will have to do it for the rest of your life, but it might extend your life. And, yeah, exactly. I chose quality over quantity. Right. For me. Because, I, sure. I mean, I'm lucky that my children are grown, and I feel vi- in a very good place, you know, because mostly I have happy, healthy children that have found their mates, and that makes me really feel, gives me a lot of peace, so... Sharzad, how did you react to the news when you when she first told you? Uh, the you know the initial cancer diagnosis, I didn't freak out yet, and that was like in March. I was like, okay, everybody gets cancer. That's you know that was my thought process. I was like, we can handle this. You know, between my brother, sister, and I, we'll we'll make it work. Whatever if we have to take you know shifts at my mom's house, you know whatever we need to do, we'll do it because. You know, my mom has always been one of the healthiest people I've ever known, Um, running up a mountain and then doing a Bikram yoga class and then cooking a dinner for 40 people and cleaning up a huge house and then, you know, reading a book. I mean, it was just like constant. So it was so hard for me to ever think that like something would be terminal and really, you know, change her lifestyle um so i thought okay cancer we got this there's surgery you know we probably cut it early since she feels physically mentally so great but it was when she told my brother and sister and i that they gave her a year that's when i i mean i really became depressed um i thought you know this is just unreal i couldn't imagine my life without her you know and all that i just focused so much on all the things that she was going to miss out on, you know, my, my kids growing up, the, you know, if my brother and sister have kids or whatever, I was so focused on what she'd miss. And it really took a lot of conversations with my mom to start appreciate, appreciating what she'd already experienced with us. And that shift in perspective was what helped me. It, it didn't happen overnight, and I still obviously go down this, like, negative spiral of thinking about things that she'll miss. And then I, I have to truly catch myself, take a deep breath, and think about how lucky I am that I've had her for 35 years and and get in a place of gratitude. And sometimes it, you know, sometimes it it's easy for me to get there, and sometimes it takes a lot of work, and I just let myself, you know, kind of, get negative and depressed and bummed and have this, you know, poor me mentality. And, and, you know, those days usually happen if I'm tired, if my kids have kept me up, if I'm just a little bit more irritable. But when I've had a good night's sleep and I feel like my head is screwed on right, I can I can think about, I can shift my perspective and, and get to a happy place because I am really lucky that I've had my mom for 35 years. And not just 35 years of having a mom, but a, a wonderful, pure relationship with her. And I mean that, like, we have a unique combination of of friendship but also mother daughter and also back to friendship and and that's really special and i felt like my my whole life people have been i don't want to say the word jealous but maybe in awe of the relationship that i've had with my mom and not just me my brother and sister as well so i you know i can't be too sad i have to just be in a place of gratitude and um and, you know, my mom always tells me that she'll always be with me. And I, I just have to really believe that. You know, we're not religious people, so we don't have this clear idea of, like, well, she's going to be in heaven. And that's what happens when you die or anything like that. We're You know, we sort of make up our own beliefs because they <laughs> sound good. Um, and and so I, I, you know, I try and think about that. Um, but 
yeah, I mean, it's been a wild ride. Of course, I would prefer that she stays around longer, but if she's in pain, you know, I, I definitely don't enjoy seeing anybody I love in pain. Um, so, it, you know, it's getting to the point where, uh, we, you know, we all want to make her really comfortable, whether um, that means, you know, she ups her, her pain meds or she, you know, whatever she wants to do. Um, but like she said, she's. I think the thing that makes this a little not easier, but maybe maybe easier is the right word, is that my mom has had an insanely fulfilling life. She, you know, everybody says, live your best life and blah, blah, blah. You see all those quotes on social media and you're like, yeah, whatever. Um, but she really has. Like, she she really has done so many cool things. I mean, you know, she's visited refugee camps in Jordan. She lived on a kibbutz in Israel. She... Um, you know, worked on a salmon fishing boat. She <laughs> watched a cow get a C-section in Switzerland. I mean, the shit that she's done is, like, on another level. I'm like, damn. I'm always like, what? You did that? Who are you? So that makes it that makes it easier because I think if she hadn't had all these unique life experience, experiences, there would be this sense of, like, oh, I didn't get to do this or I, I regret not seeing that or, you know, whatever. But she doesn't have that. So... She, I mean, I would say hashtag no regrets, right, All Mom? Day. No, I, yeah. I mean, I've had such a wonderful life. And also, as you know, when you were growing up, every time we got to do some fun thing, a Hawaii trip or run the Beta Breakers as a family, my favorite thing, mm-hmm. um, I've always said this could be the last time we do this, so you guys appreciate it. Remember to appreciate everything. And I've done that my whole life, not just after the cancer. So that's really lucky I've been like that because I have been in a state of gratitude forever. I'm just so, Hmm. I mean, since I was little. Well, aren't you so woke, Mom? You just (laughs) don't. I just learned that word woke. Yeah, well, you're nailing it. You're very on brand for this podcast because gratitude comes up all the time. Um, But yeah, in in the video I watched with you guys, it became very clear, not just from, you know, you mentioned that you did used to have the kids eye rolling, as you said, we may never be back here. You know, this is the only time we could do this. Right. Um, But just in general, your approach to life has always been, um, even if you're at work and you're having a bad day, how do I find joy in this everyday thing? Because otherwise you're just wasting time. Exactly. And I did get so much joy. I used to teach in the morning and then I was a curriculum specialist in the afternoon. I swear, teaching was my Zen spot. My three hour class in the morning, I loved it. I mean, I was there. I never thought of any problem I had. And I think it's kind of important to find that in your life somewhere. I was so lucky that I found it at work. You know, I mean, I actually started working as a teacher part-time to escape being a mom because that was so hard. Being a mom was just super hard, and I just wanted to get out of the house. So I started teaching part-time, and then later when they grew up, I I was full-time, and I took on my uh, curriculum specialist job. But um, I love teaching, and so that made it wonderful, too. Yeah, I was really happy being a mom. I was happy being a, a teacher. I was happy being a wife. So, and I like where I live in Cupertino. And I guess you guys are like frozen to your 
Yeah. Frozen out there in Chicago. You're in Chicago, right? Yeah. Today we were above, we were like six degrees and people were like, I don't think I need gloves. And I'm like, hold on. Oh, there Just because it was minus 22 doesn't mean that six <laughs> is warm. Uh, yeah. um, you know, Sherzad, you mentioned not being religious. And I think there is a fear for a lot of people who don't have religion to cling to. And a lot of people do feel as though their religion is very comforting in times like this. Um, Valerie, it's, it's, in the last video, it, it really sounded like you had this idea of thermodynamics was your religion, that, that you couldn't possibly oh. <laughs> disappear because of energy, right? Yeah, I do believe that. I mean, whether you're Catholic or Jewish or Muslim, um, you know, all those religions believe that your spirit goes on, I think, um, that, uh, it, so it's very logical to think that your energy won't dissipate. It's going to just transform and either go back into a, universal form or maybe another individual form but how can it can't just disappear it just doesn't energy doesn't that's what they say that's the law of thermodynamics so it's actually scientific so i really think my energy will stay and i feel like i'm spiritual anyway i pray all the time and i don't think spirituality is necessarily related to organized religion although Organized religion has given me comfort in my life sometimes, and if it does give comfort, I think it's great. And I love all. I love to. I love to study religions too, all of them. So, um, I feel spiritual, but maybe not into organized religion. So that gives me comfort too, because I do pray, and I don't know if my prayers are meditation or if I'm praying to a universal energy or, you know. What about that? But I just believe I'll continue on. I so believe it. Sharzad, do you have a an idea of, because you said you feel like her energy will always be with you. Um, you know, people who do believe in heaven or an afterlife tend to say, I'll see them there or I'll meet them. Or Do you have an idea in your head of how you'll still interact with and communicate with your mom when she's gone? Oof. No. I mean, uh, I, I don't know. That's... That question gets me choked up, but yeah. I'll probably watch a lot of videos of her. Luckily, I've been putting her on my YouTube channel for all these years, um, so if I really miss her, I'll refer to those. And we we actually, um, in the summer, this past summer, we did something um, cool and special, I thought, that I, I encourage anybody to do with their parents is we interviewed my mom about her life. We did like a life interview and it was hours and hours long. And I, I really am happy that I have that in case I want to hear her and, and see her talking. And, and, you know, if I miss one of the stories that she used to tell me about her crazy life and her travels or whatever, that I'll have that to look back to. But, you know, I've, I feel like I've certainly had a lot of people in my life pass away, just especially the last two years. Um, and I, you know, I like, I mean, you know, I like to think that they're always with me and that if I need to talk to them, I'll just talk or, you know, I'm a, I'm a journaler. So I've always kept a journal that, you know, it used to be called a diary. And then when I was 20, I think I started calling it a journal because that sounded more grown up and like what you're supposed to do. But I, you know, that's always been my therapy is to just write my feelings down. So, you know, maybe I'll write to her that way, but you know, I haven't really thought about that yet. I'm also you know, one of the things that I think I've done well or tried to do well this since the diagnosis is to focus on the present more than ever in my life. 
So I don't make like one of the things that I feel like I used to do is make up hypothetical situations in my head and then get really worked up about them and then freak mm. myself out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying really hard not to do that. So when I think about like the relationship I'll have with my mom when she's gone, I, I find myself getting a little like anxious and worked up. And then I re- I take a deep breath and, and I realize she's still here right now. So let's just focus on that. Um, yeah. And really, but, the only, for me, they're really the only thing that makes me feel sad is knowing that my children are going to miss me and be sad and my friends too. And I wish I could change that, but I know they're going to miss me and then they're going to go on. So that's how it is. And they'll send me on my way to my new address, say (laughs) bon voyage, have a big dinner, toast my life and uh, send me off. And then you'll be crying and then you'll miss me and then you'll go on and have a joyful life, I hope. Please, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, it's, I don't know. I, you know, like, like you said at the beginning, like, I, I guess I shied away from talking about death because I'm just a naturally very emotional person. It was never something I wanted to, like, really talk about, even though, of course, everybody is going to deal with it and everybody's going to die. So why don't we talk about it? Why don't we normalize it? Why isn't this part of our everyday conversation? Because I think if we did talk about it more, it would make people feel less alone when they do feel like they're the only one dealing with with a loss. And it would make it just more comfortable because, again, everybody is going to deal with it in some way, shape, or form. Um, and I've been forced to, like, get out of my comfort zone with this diagnosis and talk about death all the time and I felt like making that YouTube video the one that you're referring to like pushed me to have this conversation where I was very vulnerable and and I I I I don't know I think it's good to have vulnerable conversations and just normalize this talk about about death I so Uh, agree with you well that's my mom too that like that's her rubbing off on me because it's not something I ever, you know, woke up and thought, you know what, today let's talk about death, baby. Let's talk about dying slowly. You know, it just wasn't like something that I wanted to talk about. I mean, I would rather talk about cooking and travel. And But now, you know, I I think it's really important to, like, open it up. And the response I got from that video, too, was just that, um, you know, people were really appreciative that, that we were being vulnerable because they were going through something similar. I don't know if I just went off on a tangent. I probably no. did. No, I, no, like that was... that. I like that. I yeah. wish we talked about death like we talked about cooking. Why not? <laughs> it was. I wish people get so scared and sad and upset. And it is, we're all going to die and we're not even all going to cook. <laughs> no one's getting out of here alive. <laughs> so, so it would be just... Uh, yeah, it's just nice, and I mean, you can think about it, and and it makes you God. If we didn't die, how can you appreciate your life? Yeah, you're just gonna go on every day, miserable forever and ever. I mean, it makes you think we're not gonna be here. This is a short time. I better make the best of it. This is one little time we have on Earth. And the best saying I've ever heard that gives me peace and comfort from Stephen Covey was, "We are not." Um, human beings on a spiritual journey. That's not the case. We are spiritual beings on a human journey because time is eternal and humanity is only whatever we get, one year to 80 years or 90, whatever. So we just got to make our best of our short time. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, My husband is pretty good with this stuff. He, um, his mom was actually a funeral director for a long time, and so death was oh. something that would come up. 
Um, I am terrible with it. We actually have a disagreement about whether death is part of life or the end of life. I say it's the absence of life. He says it's a part of life and should be talked about, and I just basically avoid it. And I have been incredibly lucky that other than my grandparents, who all passed away by the time I was 12, I really haven't had anyone close to me pass away. And it, it makes it really hard to imagine when that will happen, how, I, how I'll handle it, because I have nothing Nothing to to base it off of or to have taught me anything. So I think part of the reason I connected with the video you guys made is because I'm deeply afraid of losing someone close to me and how I would handle it. And so hearing your, you know, amazing approach to it, I think makes it a little easier to prepare myself and to try to tell myself that I should feel the same way when something like this comes up. Um, would you say, Valerie, that your ideas about death were always as evolved. I know your your way of living is obviously something that you've been. I'm, I'm the same exact way. Gratitude at every moment. Um, or was the was the approach to death something that evolved with this diagnosis? No, no. I I have to say I had a good friend die when I was 19. A very good friend, and that made me start thinking about death since I was 19 years old. And after my dear friend Nancy died at our young age, um, I've had a few more friends die. My mom died. My younger brother died two years ago. That was just very upsetting. I miss him greatly. But now, uh, I mean, so, I mean, I already know you've go, go, you go on. But I did start at 19 because after Nancy died, I started thinking about death a lot. And it's weird how many friends I've had that had at least five friends die, I think. Mm. So so I've dealt with it, and I'm sure that makes a big difference, actually. When you say that, I think, yeah, I've been thinking about this for a long time. So, Yeah, I feel like, to piggyback on what my mom said, too, she's always talked about death this way. Um, like, you know, in a sort of an, it's been an open conversation. But usually we haven't talked about it, though. Well, we talked about it. Well, we have talked about it maybe more than most people well, because now. we talk about everything. No, I mean, even before, though, we would talk. Oh, I mean, my mom and I have talked about lots of things. I felt like you had a, I don't know, comforting approach to death more so than maybe somebody else yeah. would because you're just, my mom's really open and vulnerable most of the time, I would say, you know, in talking about anything. Um and honest. So, so I think that does make it easier that you weren't ever saying, Oh, death is the worst thing in the world. It could ever happen. You know, you weren't yeah, saying you weren't approaching death like that. Yeah. So, wasn't trying to hide anything. No, either. So, so yeah. So she's been woke from, from a long time. Yeah. You know, I think like if you're not religious. If you're not religious, then you can read, uh, Bubba Ramdas has a guide to what to do when your friend dies. You know, he has it right in there. You have a big dinner. You toast the dud, da, 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 you know. And he has a whole chapter. I think it might be in Be Here Now on uh, death. And it's death is like taking off a tight shoe. All of a sudden you're expanded and free. And that just seems logical to me. And you swim away in peace and become part of the oneness. Why yeah. not? Sounds good. So yeah, be sounds here now. Great. Cool. Be Here Now by yeah. Ram Das. Are there other books yeah. or things that you've kind of been reading or or coming across that have helped? Well, I can't think. I love that Stephen Covey quote. Yeah. I forget what book that's from. 
um, Ram Dass I like, and I and I have been reading, you know, some of the old books. My brother had so many. Oh, because my brother's wife died. That was a horrible thing. So my brother was thinking about death constantly most of his life after his wife died, and uh, he read all these books. So I had all of them, and I don't know. I I don't think of. I can't recommend one of them. Well, Many Lives, Many Masters oh, yeah, like was that. always um, a good one. Those books that talk about that reaffirm reincarnation are always interesting. I'm not sure I can say I believe in reincarnation, although I think it's a possibility. And I think heaven is a possibility, too. Sounds so, good. I mean, all of them. Yeah, I yeah. think, but you continue. Yeah. So. so you've been up yeah, to a ton I, of I stuff. I yeah, you've I'm been up to a ton of stuff since you got the diagnosis. You're in an improv class and traveling and going on a trip with your with your book club and hanging out with your family. Do you have any sort of a checklist? Are there are there people that you want to reach out to? Are there just everyday things? Are you eating more of something that you love? Are you watching <laughs> some movie that you always said you wanted to watch or reading a book? Because I think those Thank kind of goodness. things are what trip people up. Yeah. Yeah, thank goodness I uh, have completed my buck list, and it's buck list. My butt, my butt list. <laughs> it's hurting my butt. It is my butt list. <laughs> yeah, it is. Colon cancer, so it's a butt list. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but you know, I I traveled uh, so much, but I never made it to Machu Picchu in Peru, and I'd always wanted to do that. And then two summers ago, I went with a friend, and I was like. You know, for years, people would say, so where's your next trip? And I'd say, Peru. And then I wouldn't get there. You know, like I went to China instead or something would happen and I'd go somewhere else. And uh, and finally, I went to Peru and I said, well, I guess this is the end. I've done everything on my list. I can die now. I mean, I actually said that before. That was two years ago. Yeah. And I said that way before my diagnosis that, oh, I can die. I've seen Machu Picchu finished. But this, but right now. No, I feel happy with everything. And it's interesting because just this month, my life got smaller, which is uh, I've decided uh, not to go on my next book club trip, which is hard for me to back out. That's what I love. It's my favorite thing. And uh, we've done it for 20 years. So but I know that I can't keep up. It'd be too hard. And uh, um, and I decided kind of that I can't do plane travel anymore. So that's going to make, it makes my life smaller. And yet, spending more time in my room, I'm going through like these nostalgia boxes that I've collected over the years and enjoying that and just enjoying reading. So happy to catch up on any TV shows. I don't know what I've missed, but I want to like, uh, you know, binge watch a couple things. I forget. I want to do El Chapo. And anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, there's a few things on my list to watch. So so I'm enjoying my small world, too. And every single day, I have a friend. At least one friend comes by. I mean, it's fabulous. That's and awesome. I have so many wonderful friends, and they're all ready to, you know, bring me food and do this and that. And I'm saving up as I get weaker. I'm going to call in all of them. And then my kids have all been around. My cousins have come to visit. I've heard from people I haven't heard of. It's because of Facebook, I think. So, you know, people know it from that. And I have heard of pe- heard from people I haven't heard of in or heard from in 40 years from high school. I mean, it's kind of amazing. So people yeah. are reaching out to me and it's just super fun 
to talk. She loves cancer. Woohoo! She's well, so you know, popular now. It's, it's funny her. though. It's funny because her. that's so true. And um, you know, I just had longtime ESPN reporter Shelly Smith on the podcast, and she has beaten uh, cancer two times, maybe three even. Um, and she said, you know, the responses on social media, usually women in sports don't always have the kindest people. And she said, oh, well, once I got cancer, everyone's just now nice to me. And, you know, she's, <laughs> she said it a lot and she said it kind of joking, but she also, there was a little part of her that kind of sounded like, you know, it shouldn't really require that. Right. Um, and exactly. then, and then a friend yes, in, like, in Chicago said the same thing. You know, when someone is ill, the first thing we do is reach out to embrace them and see if we can help and love. And we don't do that with really anything else. We look, we, we look to point a finger or to argue about something and that it shouldn't take these catas- catastrophic events and turns in our life to be more aware of how to interact with each other. Um, and that's something I so guess a lot true. of people with diagnosis learn, right? Yeah, it's really true, Sarah. But I wanted to make the point that I have a nice life and a nice house, and I'm not worried about money, and my children are healthy, and there are people with cancer diagnoses that are going through hell. I mean, they have it much worse than me. Maybe they have little children, or they are in poverty, or they lose their job and they lose their health care. So I know that there are dire situations of cancer victims, and I can't even compare myself to that, you know? So I'm lucky with my cancer. I really am. I'm ge- I'm getting the things like you said, this, everyone likes me. They're all nice to me all the time. And so, so my, my situation is pretty good. And I know people don't have it that good. So... That's you know, your attitude right there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you're you are starting to have some pain and, and it's more difficult to do some things. Are you afraid of the end or of of what's coming? Le- no fear of death. Kind of excited about it, actually. <laughs> I just to move, see the new place, move to the new house, and uh, um, but for uh, I'm a little afraid of pain, but my palliative care doctor and also I have a um, a friend that's a super nurse and was a director of hospice she said you have a long way to go to manage your pain so so I guess it comes down to I am a little scared of pain so I'll be managing that and then I'll be like you know more and more out of it kind of and sleeping so then I'll reach the point of well if I'm sleeping 24 hours a day or 23 hours a day then that one hour better be you know, worth it for everybody. Right. Otherwise, um, you know, otherwise I'll, I might check out. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that yet. So I'm doing what? some meditating on suicide, and I know yeah. a lot of religions forbid it. So I kind of want to read about it a little yeah. more and see what religions do say about that. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. Um, no one, a lot of people have a lot of trouble knowing what to say or do for somebody, um, whether their diagnosis is terminal or not, whether they're fighting to beat cancer or whether, um, they've been given a set time. What do you recommend? Do you have any, has, have, have you been surrounded by people who are doing and saying the right things or in the right way that have helped? Oh, that's so good. I had this piece of paper <clears throat> that I gave my colleagues at work after my diagnosis that I found somewhere. Now I can't remember what it was on it. It was what to say and what not to say. Hmm. But one thing to say is, uh, 
Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for your diagnosis. I'm sorry you have to go through that. And and I did think when people said to me, especially early in the diagnosis, when I was like, I mean, absolutely my same self, healthy, full of energy. And people would say, don't give up. And I was like, <laughs> what? Do I look like I'm going to give up? You know, <laughs> I joke about that. I know. And we and I was joking about that. But maybe towards the end, it's much more appropriate. But then you don't. Then it's like selfish to tell somebody don't give up. Who's that for? You? Right. You're going to miss them? So I don't know. I don't really like don't give up. But I like I'm sorry you're going through this. And, you know, you can't say, oh, I know 10 people. I don't like when people say, oh, I have a friend who beat cancer. Oh, colon cancer, you can beat that. Because they don't know anything about it or who you right. are or what stage you are. So I don't like it when you can when they say, Oh, I have. I know so and so who beat this, and you can beat that. And come on, beat it. <laughs> like I'm not. Like I'm not trying. Like I'm going to be peaceful <laughs> with death, but I'm. Oh, the other thing you said: Am I eating like more ice cream? Is what I would be eating. But actually, I'm still trying to do a healthy diet. I'm still um, taking. There's two things I take that are supposed to cure cancer. One is vitamin B17, and one of them is this. Hoxitonic from a clinic in Mexico. So they both require a diet protocol, which is difficult, actually. And of course, one of the things is um, they don't, they discourage white sugar and white flour. So I can have agave and honey and all that stuff, but I absolutely cannot eat um, vinegar or alcohol. And vinegar is in everything. So actually, that's what makes it the hardest. Yeah. Vinegars and soy sauce, and I love sushi. So actually, I've cut out foods that I love. And I'm giving this diet two months to see how I feel. So I have one more month. And if I don't feel um, much better, I'm not going to pick out, but I will add ice cream and sushi into my diet. Right, yeah. right. So, Sharzad, yeah. what about you? Do you have yeah. advice for Go people, ahead. whether they're as close as, as you are, because it's your mother, or with a friend or loved one? Is there anything that you've learned along the way? Um, you know, I, I have to agree with my mom. In the conversations I've had with my brother and sister, I find it a little annoying, especially when people know it's a terminal diagnosis, that they say, like, I, you know, they have some crazy miracle story about some random person that did this or did that and cured it and beat it and did that. I want to just get everybody around to be in a place of acceptance of death as well instead of this thing you know where we have to try and avoid it and find a cure and find a cure and find a cure I guess that's like frustrating and it makes me angry because we know there's not a cure for this I don't think all these doctors are wrong so what I want to do is just you know focus on the president and be positive for everything I have as opposed to like wishing that we were finding a cure and like putting so much pressure on that and I feel like I have a great group of friends, you know, people that I work with, people that I love and trust and respect that know what's going on. And I obviously put it out there on the Internet, which I know opened me up to lots of people, you know, DMing me or commenting or emailing me about whatever they're going through that might be similar. Um, But I feel like I love texts of like, hey, just checking in, just love you, thinking about you, whatever. Some people text me multiple multiple questions and want to know the details of every little thing that's going on and Mm. in the beginning of my mom's cancer diagnosis it was really painful for me to share every detail with every person that that asked me Um, I don't like that either and and I I mean you know I had 
one friend that wanted to know just everything. And it just wasn't something I wanted to talk about with that person. You know, I luckily have my brother and sister and my mom and husband that I want to share the like intimate details with, but but, um, you know, everybody grieves different. Everybody responds differently. But, you know, I, I loved people checking in and not interrogating me on the status of my mom's, you know, cancer and, like, how many doctors she's seen this week and well, how is she, she going to die today, do you think, or tomorrow? Mm. You know, it was just like some people yeah. are so intense with the interrogating. Um, so I'm the opposite. Anyway. Is that bad, too? I'm the opposite where I – because I don't like to talk about – bad things because I prefer to believe in sunshine and cinnamon and unicorns, which doesn't help either because just <laughs> avoiding reality is, is, is not good either. Um, but, but you said you like people reaching out. So there's a, there's a happy medium where you don't want to avoid it and act like it's not happening because it's very clearly happening. Um, but just right. not prying. Yeah, I guess that, I guess that would be the happy medium. And I feel like 90% of the people in my life has like really handled it well and just said things like, ready to go on a hike whenever you are or ready for drinks if you need them or whatever. And then there's a few people that just have too many questions for me. And there was a period, like I would say the first few months when I was really processing this harsh reality that I was going to, you know, have a lot more time on earth without my mom or whatever. And every time somebody would text me and ask me a million questions, if for some odd chance I wasn't thinking about my mom, I would, eat, I would, you know, get triggered and reminded of my mom and then get right. sad again. So, you know, look, there's no perfect way to, to deal with, um, you know, somebody you know and love having a close loved one pass away or, or deteriorate or whatever. But for me personally, um, I liked knowing that my friends were there for me, but also to give me space Yeah. until yeah. I was ready to talk about it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Well, because I think yeah. that's part of my fear is, you know, I want to reach out and, and and see how people are doing, but I also don't want to interrupt some glorious moment where they're just not thinking about it and dive them yeah. right back into it. And so I think, you know, <laughs> that, it's a balance. That has happened to me so many times where I'm like, oh, my God, I was like on cloud nine. I just had a great workout. I'm like killing it with work or whatever. I didn't scream at my kids. I'm doing OK. And then I would get this a text like, so, you know, blah, 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 about your mom and a million questions. And I'd be like, damn it. I went like an hour without thinking about my mom, right. you know, doom day. And now I'm right back to square one and feeling depressed. Now I'm better at it because of all the conversations and all the like soul searching, I guess I've done on myself um, and all the time I've gotten to spend with my mom, that it, it is easier for me to talk about everything that's going on without completely losing it. Six months ago, you know, when I made that video, it was still a little bit more painful for me. Um, so anyway, but everybody's so different. And that's a great question, though, because nobody knows what to do and nobody ever knows what to say. But I read somewhere, and I've been guilty of doing this myself, I read somewhere that you're not supposed to start, um, like if somebody is dealing with some kind of illness or death or terminal disease or whatever you're not supposed to start talking about how you know a million people that have dealt with that too you're not supposed to take Mm. away from what they're dealing with you're just supposed to listen Mm. and i i remember reading that and thinking oh my god every time somebody has told me something is wrong with like their kid or their mom i go on this long spree about how something's wrong with my mom too and my kid had that happen and i yeah and you think you're being helpful but yeah you think you're being helpful but you're actually not and and you're just taking away from them and maybe they just really want to talk and they just want to get it out there. And maybe they don't care 
about all the details of the person that you know that's dealing with something. They just want you to listen to what they're going through and maybe not interject so much. And I've learned to just be a little bit more quiet, which is hard for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> Ditto. But, yeah. I wanted to say two things came to mind. One is that almost, for me, 100% of the people, even if they say things that I think are inappropriate, I know that they are coming from a good place in their heart. So I want to keep that in mind, that these people have good intentions for me. I don't have any evil people around me. So I know it's coming from their heart. And then the, oh, that was one thing. And then the other thing, oh, just that we were talking about the, end of life service or something and i i was thinking i'm trying to control this and i'm going to be dead this is stupid <laughs> this is for my this is for my kids they can do whatever they want and uh because i want them to be comforted so then we were talking about it and i kept calling it a funeral and it, that's so old school i realized and then shereen my other daughter was saying um mom it's a celebration of life there should be singing and dancing and i said dancing Really? Because I have been at a celebration of life where, you know, some people sat around and played guitars and songs they had written for the person who had passed away. And it was very, you know, it was like a hippie funeral, low key. And it was nice like that. But I never saw dancing. And then Charzad said something so funny. I want you to say numbers one, two, say that. That was just so funny. Well, so first of all, just a quick background. You know, my mom told us, I do love dancing, and I was in a dance troupe, so it is true. I am a dancer. <laughs> my mom said, I want you to write your death speeches, and I want to proofread them before. Oh, my gosh. There's no <laughs> grammatical errors, and I want to make sure you get everything clear and correct. And so we were like, okay, bossy much? Like, I don't know, Mom. And then um, we were joking, and she said, you know, I think I want Michael to direct the funeral. Sharzad's going to be way too emotional. Arash and Shereen will probably be emotional, too. So we need somebody even killed, like Michael, who's my husband. And then I was like, so what do you want Michael to say, Mom? You want him to emcee your, your death party? And he, she goes, yeah. And I was like, so what do you want him to go get on a mic and say, all right, everybody that's known Valerie from years zero through 20, get on the dance floor. And then if you've known her from 21 oh to my 40, God. now's your turn. Like, <laughs> so bossy. And talking about her, you know, funeral or death party or whatever we're going to call it, um, that it made us laugh. And I, I have to say, like, you know, she's made jokes the entire time. And she doesn't want people weeping around her and saying, you know, so sorry and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but the most part, after I'm gone. Yeah, she doesn't yeah. want to see anybody. I feel like when I cry, she's like, oh, you know, stop. <laughs> no, but it's funny how unemotional I've been. I know. That's kind of weird because I'm usually quite emotional. You know, I cry at McDonald's commercials. Oh, me too. Everything. Supermarket openings. Give me tears. <laughs> supermarket openings. <laughs> so... Right. So uh, so um, I'm surprised that I'm much less emotional because I guess I, I, if I start crying, it'll be a big cry fest probably if I cried over something. But I don't feel like crying over anything. I'm kind of excited about ever. everything. Yeah. 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 But the, That's amazing. But I do, I'm sad when Charzad, my daughter's burst into tears and even my son wants them. Yeah, that makes me sad. They can cry when I'm gone. I think I'll be yeah. more strict about that. Oh, I think God. I really will. Oh, yeah. we got more rules coming. I'm going to start yelling. Yeah. There's <laughs> <laughs> another rule in coming. Yeah. 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 Um, well, I love what you said about the video interview. And, you know, a lot of people don't have a warning. 
Uh, um, a lot of people don't know right. that their time is running out. And so it's something that people can do without needing that. I remember probably like 15 years ago, I, I started to get weird about mortality. And I gave my parents these books where they're supposed to fill in all these different things about their lives. And they were like, are you trying to kill us or something? Like, what? <laughs> this, is, this seems very early. And I was like, I don't know. I just want to make sure I don't miss anything. And, you know, I want to hear about your stories and all this other stuff. And so that's a great idea to do without a diagnosis. Just when you've got time together, do little pieces of it. Um, because I think you're right. Um, that's something that, you know, everybody wants to have later. And it's also just really fun to go back and remember some of the cool and exciting and different things that you've done in life. Totally. Um, I what love talking to you that? guys. No, no, yeah, do, do some more of that. Life yeah. But you got them a book. A oh, the book, book that, that, prompt, parents. that prompted different stories. Yeah, so if you're looking what? for new stuff for your interviews, you can you can get a book for it as well, and they'll kind of suggest stuff. Um, which reminds me, you have one final interview to do before I can let you go. It's uh, the thing that everybody does, but nobody expects. I didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. It's the Spanish Inquisition. Number one, Sharzad. <laughs> what's the natural yes. talent you wish you were gifted with? Well, sorry, what do I wish I was gifted with? Yeah, some natural talent that you wish you were gifted with. <clears throat> I wish I could speak every single language. It would be Ooh. so fun to talk to everybody and party with so many people around the world. That's the best and answer I've ever gotten. About no <gasps> pressure, it, Valerie. Great. Well, that Valerie. was my answer. Oh, you know. oh, wow. Wow. I am so pissed. <laughs> that was my answer. Okay, no, well. maybe I would have been a brilliant dancer. Mm, that's okay. a good one, too. Good one. Good um, one. Valerie, what's your Desert Island album, if you were going to be stuck on a desert island with just one album? Album as in... Sing, uh, music or record? yeah, some oh, some perform or? some performer musicians uh, CD or or album. Well, I would have to have a mix, <laughs> <laughs> but I love to dance. I love to dance to uh, Bruno Mars if he's playing a lively song. I have to dance to that. There you and, go. Uh, and who's that other person I jump up and dance to? Yeah, I think I'll take a Bruno Mars album. Might All right, well. I like that. Uh, Charzad. <laughs> You only get one, Sharzad, because you don't get to pull the cancer card on the getting a mix. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is going to be so out of left field for most people, and I'm wondering if anybody listening will know. But, you know, the Alabina is this, like, really awesome um, group, and they have this mix. This person. Yeah. Well, the Alabina CD, it's like Arabic and Spanish music, and it's so fun to dance to. My mom and I used to belly dance together, and I love Alabina. <laughs> and every time I hear Alabina, I get really excited, and I shimmy, which All is right. like a belly dancing move. Well, I'll have to look um, it up. Yeah. It's so fun. It's like, it's like, yeah, a lot of Spanish and Arabic songs mixed together. So, I, I, you know, I'll just that's the first thing that came to my mind. Cool. And I also like to dance. So, Alabina. Perfect. Uh, number three. Sharzad, if you could switch lives with anyone for a day, who would it be? God, Sarah, you know, maybe I'd try switching with you. You seem to have a kick-ass time. <laughs> Although I know Jack squat about sports, so that would be really funny. You'd have to pick a day um, off, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You throw the best birthday parties of anybody I've ever met in my life, and I would actually, I would switch lives with you on your birthday. Oh, yeah. good. That's a good yeah. choice. Those are good days. <laughs> yeah, those are, I've been to your 30th, and it was yeah. awesome. <laughs> uh, Valerie? Yeah, same question? Yeah. 
I think I would, uh, I, these days, I think I want to be Steph Curry after, oh. after an excellent game, maybe just broke another three-point record. That's a, that's a great answer. I love that. Um, uh, number four, Valerie, what's the most scared you've ever been? Um, I was climbing the uh, pyramids in Egypt when you could still climb them, and three guys were uh, hassling me and kind of, I was almost at the top and rubbing my butt and mm. being all around me. And, and I was alone. And I was, and now rocks on the pyramid. Sometimes you have to lift yourself up. But I really wanted to climb to the top. And uh, one of them pulled a knife on me. And actually, oh. I kicked it. I kicked it off the side of the pyramid and scrambled what? up the pyramid. And there was these two Canadian guys sitting at the top. And I said, you have to help me. You have to help me. These three guys are after me. I mean, and I didn't even know them. And luckily, those two guys were up there. And I sat with them. And I went down with them. Otherwise, It's like Indiana Jones. On top of the pyramid. <laughs> <laughs> on top of a pyramid. That's the best answer I've ever gotten by far. You can kick the knife out of someone's hand on top of the Great Pyramids. Yes, um, exactly. And I really you're right. Your bucket list is done, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. That was pretty scary. And thank oh God my gosh. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah. Sharzad, what about you? Oh God. So many things. I would say this is kind of dark and crazy though my, my my oldest son had a seizure and that was the scariest moment mm. of my life by far yeah. it was a, a febrile seizure when your temperature spikes really fast it's, I didn't know at the time but it's very common um but that was awful that was truly when I think about that I get I get really emotional because that was yeah. that was terrifying no he seizured yeah. And then went, uh, yeah, and then he was unconscious. Yeah, oh my and then gosh. he got rushed to the ER. That was awful, awful, awful. I'm sure if any mom is listening, they can relate. Yeah, yeah. but nothing is worse than seeing your your kids suffer. Yeah. It's much worse seeing your kids suffer than your old mom. <laughs> <laughs> Way worse. I agree. I um, number five, Sharzad. What's the most embarrassed you've ever been? Oh, my God. Every day of my life is an embarrassment. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was at a Dixie Chicks concert when I was 17. We had, like, front row seats. I was with four of my best friends. I was dressed like a little bloody skank. Um, and I was on top of a chair singing to Earl Has to Die. I don't know if any Dixie Chicks yes, fans yeah. uh, know that song. I love it. And I was wearing a short skirt, and I, I ate it. I ate it. Oh, no. I fell hard on my face. I'm sure everybody got a laugh. It was pretty embarrassing. Um, yeah, I can't. I mean, I'm sure I have way more moments than that, but nothing that really embarrasses out. me that much because I'm a pretty open book. Yeah. So that, Valerie, that, what about that was you? my first time where I remember being. I just yeah. can't think of being embarrassed either because I would just, if something did hit me, I'd probably make a joke out yeah, of it. Same. I mean, I did. Um, I was teaching a class. I was teaching in Tehran, in Iran, and I. Uh, looked all nice and it was the first week of school and I tripped over the blackboard and made a big <laughs> splat in the classroom and I also I remember I was teaching high school and I wheeled this tv out we were going to watch some movie and the wheel got caught in a little nick in the floor and the tv fell down and crashed oh, oh God. it was the quietest <laughs> ever in a high school class in the history of the world <laughs> and I said oh sh-. and it echoed all through the high school <laughs> it was that was embarrassing. Oh, I had to go good. tell everyone I broke the TV, and I was a new teacher there. Oh, my no. First year, oh. Already breaking the equipment. Yeah. So. Oh, 
That was embarrassing. I guess we don't embarrass too easily, though. Yeah. It's actually better that way if they all just kind of blur together. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Valerie, number six, what would you consider your biggest failure? My biggest failure? Um, I just don't know what would be my biggest failure. I can't think of it. Maybe that my children didn't become skiers. <laughs> my children didn't become skiers, and they didn't become dog lovers. And those those were two things kind of important. Now, they're starting to love dogs, though, I have to say. So that's that's good. I'm glad they're starting to love dogs more. There might be dogs in their future. I will definitely have a dog in my future because I married a dog lover. Yeah. Well, my good. husband didn't ski or love dogs, and uh, so it just didn't happen in our lives. So maybe I... Yeah, I kind of wish they turned into skiers, but I'm not even skiing anymore, so who cares? That's <laughs> no, a decent, I don't care about anything. decent biggest <laughs> failure, though, is just that Charzad has deeply disappointed you with her inability to ski. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about you, Charzad? <laughs> oh, my God, I can't think of a failure. Um, uh, uh Shoot. Uh, even... Wait, from eighth grade. Oh, yeah. I did not graduate. I was expelled from eighth grade. Major failure. Yeah, I was arrested, thrown out of eighth grade. Um, like the last week. No, it was two months, and I had to get homeschooled by you, which you were pissed about, obviously. Yeah, thanks for reminding me, Mom. <laughs> she remembers your biggest failure. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> like, you idiot, you didn't graduate from eighth grade. I did go on to UCLA, though. Thank you very much. But, yeah, I was arrested and then put on homeschool and on house arrest. And so for I. What? Well, I don't know if I should say. Should I say it? I, it's up to you whether you want to say, not us. I mean, it was a small marijuana crime that got me kicked <laughs> out because most schools have a zero tolerance policy. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I was selling a couple bags of weed to some friends. <laughs> not a big deal. <laughs> Kids that are listening, it is a big deal to sell marijuana. So don't. It is. You don't want to be smoking an eighth I got, grade. I got in a lot of trouble. It sounds like a it. lot, a lot of trouble. Yeah, um, but you bounce back. You're doing all right. Um, I'm a, I'm a success story. There you go. And now your mom's the one smoking all the weed. So there you go. Yeah, exactly, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know, I grew up in California. It's legal. You're allowed. Where marijuana is just not that big of a deal. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I just grew up with a different perspective of it. Totally. Uh, so, yeah. Um, number seven. Well, it, it, okay. Uh, Charzad, what habit or quality do you think has contributed most to your success? Um, I, I guess that I really have no fear. Um, my, my biggest fear I'm facing it right now, and it was like losing a loved one, you know, and I'm dealing with that. But in terms of success, I just have no fear, fear of, the words no or looking like an idiot or anything like that. I have no fear of that. I really don't think I've had any fear of, of really anything except I was a little, I was, I was pretty terrified of birth, um, birthing a human, having a human right. come out of my body. Um, Cause that just sounded weird to me, but I obviously got over that twice. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, but I don't really have any fear. And so I feel like that that's helped me because I have never afraid to go after things that I want and have totally. and be vulnerable. Um, what about you, Mom? Well, it's fear of the future. What was the no, question? Your, your biggest fear? No, oh, your my quality that has uh, made you successful. Oh, oh, the quality that's contributed to my success. I think that I'm, um, well, I one of the reasons I think I'm successful is because I have so many friends. I count that as achievements. 
And yeah. um, me being social and extrovert is the quality, I think, that led me to my success of having so many wonderful friends. That's a good one. I like that. Uh, yeah. Number eight, Valerie, have you ever been in a fist fight? A fist fight? Well, one of my husband's cousins, we were having a swim race, and then he dunked me, and I was really, <laughs> I couldn't even breathe, and I scratched his chest <laughs> to get out of the water because I thought he was going to kill me, and I made these <laughs> bloody scratch marks on his chest, and we come out of the water, and he, oh, I almost died, and he, uh, and everybody's feeling sorry for him. Valerie, what'd you scratch Batman's chest for? So... <laughs> So I was, uh, that, I mean, I fought like that. I can't think. I've slapped each one of my children one time in their lives. And they deserved it. Just once. And it made me feel sad. So, uh, no, fist fight, no. How about you, Sharzad? Third grade, third grade, I got in a fist fight with this little girl who was a bully. (laughs) And I ripped her dress and I punched her in the face. (laughs) And everyone slapped. <laughs> there was an audience. Nice. <laughs> oh my god. Uh yeah, I've been in a fist fight a couple times, but one Not time, surprised, you I, truant. Yeah. I know. I know. Uh, eighth grade was not my best year, but I was all I was in a fist fight that year with Nina Rios who came trespass on the eighth grade campus. Um and she was like 17 and she was definitely a gangster and she slapped me and I remember everything going dark. And then because I have a big, tough older brother, I attacked her and I bashed her head against my knee and I, um, I beat her up and then I laughed at her and that was in front of all of the eighth grade school. But she came on to the campus, a 17 year old and attacked a 13 year old and got her ass kicked. (laughs) You remember it well, (laughs) still proud of it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was when I was in eighth grade, and I, I was a tough cookie. Right. Yeah, I, not not proud of that, but um, I guess proud of the fact that I felt good defending myself. There and you then go. I was terrified that she was going to jump me. So right. I lived in like a fear when I was walking home from school. Retaliation. That that she was going to come back and get me. <laughs> um, you know, I think all my delinquent times have led me to be a much nicer person now as an adult (laughs) i think so too uh number nine sharzad what's the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve um i wish that i didn't care um i wish i didn't get mad at myself if i ate something bad like and i say bad like if i like binge on pizza or whatever i wish i didn't get so mad at myself but i do and it's really annoying and i have an internal battle in my head all the time this is live your life and then like be really healthy and then those Bless two people bit of morsel that goes into your body blah 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 Bless i wish i was like a little i wish i was a little kinder to myself when yeah, i you know for sure. didn't live up to this preconceived expectation that i set for myself what about you well i would get the cancer out of my body duh <laughs> That's what good, I improvement. I no, like I can't that. think of a, a, I mean, a, just a personality improvement. I should, uh, I think I've been pretty good. I I was working on um, listening more and talking less, and I think I'm doing pretty good at that. Um, I like the cancer one. Thing. I think we can stick yeah. with that. I think we'd all yeah, improve that, that if we could. Um, and finally, yeah. number 10, Sharzad, what three words would you most hope that people would use to describe you? Not necessarily Ooh, like a phrase. Um, it can be three separate words. Um, funny, 
compassionate, um, mm, hardworking. Those are good. How about you, Valerie? I would say maybe um, a positive presence and, uh, yeah, fun to be with and helpful. (laughs) That sounds good. Not three words, but again, cancer card, so you can do whatever you want. That's how it works. Oh, oh, oh. (laughs) Positive, helpful, and uh, happy. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Well, you Just have like been positive, sure. helpful, and, and happy throughout this interview, and that's why I had you guys on. And I really think people are going to get so much from um, the way you're handling this and, and documenting it as well for other people to, to learn from. So um, even though I just met you, Valerie, I love you too because I love Sharzad. And um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much for spending some time with me. It's been wonderful talking to you. I really enjoyed it. Sarah, you've always been such a mentor to me, and I look up to you so much, and I'm really Aww. honored that you uh, had this conversation with us. I Listen, you're not that much younger than me, you. so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I <laughs> Um, way older than me here. Um, but I've loved you since the day I met you in Arkansas. So, you know, thank you for everything that you do. And thank you so much for thinking of us for this conversation and, and facing your fears of talking about death and mortality. So we're, we're in it together there. Yeah, Yeah. You guys are, you guys are helping me. I appreciate it. Um, have a great rest of your day. I hope it's a good one and I'll talk to you soon. Thank Thank you, Sarah. Take care. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Oh, and another thing. This week's That's What She Read is not something to read. It is the video that uh, Sharzad and Valerie and I talked about in the podcast. I want you to be able to find it on YouTube. Sharzad is a YouTube master and star, so she's got a million videos out there. So if you want to find the video that we specifically spoke about and hear more of Valerie's incredibly woke, as Sharzad says, views on mortality and illness, uh, the the video is titled Life and Death Talk with My Mom, and it is under Sharzad's channel. So just type in her name, Sharzad, S-H-A-R-Z-A-D, Kiade, K-I-A-D-E-H. And um, I really think their words uh, from themselves and not just in conversation with me will be something that you can share with friends and family and people who um, maybe need a different different approach or attitude about about some news they've gotten. Thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me. Well, that's what she said.